to episode 129 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About December 2020. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as secession, Walter E. Williams, big tech censorship, intellectual dishonesty, or political bias comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, and Rumble. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app or any other platform, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Clearly, the biggest story of the month was the election. In my next episode, I plan to do a complete recap of the election, but for the purposes of a quick review, suffice it to say we have evidence and testimony of what can only be described as massive, gross, and forensically proven vote fraud, primarily in Georgia, Fulton County, which is Atlanta, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, Michigan, Wayne County, which is the Detroit area, and Wisconsin, mainly in the Milwaukee area. The supposed margin of victory in those states for Biden as of today are Pennsylvania, 82,000 votes, Georgia, 12,000 votes, Wisconsin, 20,000 votes, Arizona, 11,000 votes, Nevada, 35,000, and Michigan, 154,000. With the exception of Michigan, these are razor-thin margins. Keep in mind the number of potentially fraudulent ballots in each state are more than enough to overcome Biden's margin of victory by thousands of votes, in some cases hundreds of thousands of votes. Here's a recap of the alleged vote fraud that we're supposed to ignore. We had the simultaneous pausing of vote counting in several large Democrat-controlled cities in battleground states, many of which I just mentioned. That happened right around midnight on election night. This was followed by massive dumps of Biden votes. The theory put forth by attorney Sidney Powell is that the vote count for Trump was much higher than they had anticipated, and therefore they needed to stop counting all at the same time only in Democratic and controlled corrupt cities in order to make arrangements for manufactured votes to be brought in. What else do we have? Well, we have ballots produced on different types of paper than the official ballots. We have the usual dead people voting. We have reports of overvotes. That's when more votes are cast in an area than there are registered voters. We have vote counts for Trump actually declining. You could literally see it on the scroll at the bottom of the screen on the networks on election night. One minute Trump has X number of votes, the next minute he has X minus Y. And guess what? Biden's count went up by that exact amount. Nothing to see here, folks. We have GOP poll watchers treated differently than their Democrat counterparts, not permitted to observe the opening of mail-in ballots to verify the signature, postmarked, and legitimacy of the ballot. Once the outer envelope was removed and became unauditable, they threw them away. Speaking of mail-in ballots, the average rejection rate for mail-in or absentee ballots is just over 3%. In some of these jurisdictions, the rejection rate was three hundredths of a percent. We also had statistical anomalies demonstrating potential evidence of vote total manipulation. 
we have ballots with only Biden votes on them, no down ballot votes. There are reports of programmed computer cheating. We have thousands of non-residents and ex-residents voting. We have hundreds of sworn affidavits signed by people under penalty of perjury. We have public testimony by eyewitnesses. We have Biden vote counts in some of these states far exceeding the vote count of the Democrat senator candidates. Highly, highly unusual. And finally, we have vote tabulation equipment connected to the internet in violation of federal and state laws. Prior to the election, there have been several exposés on a variety of networks demonstrating how easy it is to hack these voting systems once they are connected to the internet. But don't worry, the mainstream media and the Democrats all across the land assure us that there is no evidence of vote fraud. Anyone who makes such a claim are conspiracy theorists, racist, un-American, treasonous, and any other name they can think of. Oh, and by the way, the National Republicans are just as bad. They ain't doing shit to help. The Supreme Court summarily dismissed Texas's lawsuit against four battleground states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia, for lack of standing. Texas was attempting to challenge presidential election results in these states, which demonstrated so much irregularities and flat-out fraud. Eighteen other states and over a hundred congressmen and President Trump joined the suit. While the Electoral College met and gave Biden the win, so I guess we can call him President-elect now, However, the legislatures in seven contested states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, New Mexico, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, all sent dueling slates of electors to Congress. Meaning, even though Biden was declared the winner of the popular vote, due to all the irregularities and fraud, the legislature sent both a Biden slate of electors and a Trump slate. In essence saying, we don't know who won with any certainty, so we're sending both sets. Per the 12th Amendment of the United States Constitution, the President of the Senate, which is Vice President Pence, opens the electors votes and determines the winner. Obviously, in a normal election cycle, there's only one slate to consider. The outstanding question is, will Pence have the balls to pick the Trump electors or possibly decline to accept either slate? In order for there to be any changes, first a member of the House and Senate must object to a slate of electors forcing both houses of Congress to go into a debate session. If the GOP can produce enough evidence making Pence comfortable with making the switch or declining outright, perhaps Trump survives his second coup. In case you're wondering, if Pence were to decline both slates of electors in those seven states, Trump wins by 10 electoral votes, 232 to 222. The two Senate races in Georgia were not finalized on Election Day, so a runoff was required. The Democrats have been pouring millions of dollars, and their elite Hollywood types have poured into the state, pushing their two candidates. If the Dems can pull off a win in both seats, then they will control the presidency, the House, and the Senate. Oh, what glorious days lie ahead for America. A great American died in December. His name was Walter E. Williams. He was a long-standing economics professor at George Mason University for some 40 years. He was also a nationally syndicated columnist, author, and most importantly, a brave, outspoken, unapologetic defender of free market capitalism, liberty, freedom, and the United States Constitution. Williams and people like him inspired me to launch this podcast. These are people who speak the truth regardless of the potential backlash from the usual suspects, malcontents, partisan hacks, and the ignorant. If there's one thing I learned from Williams, besides all the common sense economic wisdom, it was... 
You must pursue truth for its own sake and muster the courage to speak it. Listen to episode 126 to hear more about the truth about Walter E. Williams. President Trump announced another peace deal in the Middle East. Israel and Morocco agreed to full diplomatic relations. How many is that now? Three? You can't tell me that Trump doesn't deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. He actually brought peace to segments of the Middle East. Speaking of peace in the Middle East, Hanukkah was openly celebrated in several places like Dubai, UAE. Not something you expect to see in that part of the world. Call this lockdowns and masks for thee, but not for me. Listen to this list of Democrat government officials who were caught violating their own lockdown and or mask mandates. It's the personification of hypocrisy. Democrat Mayor of Denver, Mike Hancock. Democrat Mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser. Democrat Governor of New York, Andrew Killer of Nursing Home Residence Cuomo. Democrat Mayor of Austin, Steve Adley. Democrat Mayor of San Francisco, London Breed. Democrat Governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Democrat Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Remember her infamous haircut? Democrat operative masquerading as news anchor Chris Cuomo wandering around without a mask. Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein wandering around without a mask at both the Capitol building and Dulles International Airport. Democrat Mayor of San Jose, Samuel Theodore Licardo, dining with members of five other households. Dr. Fauci attending a baseball game with two guests and his mask pulled down in an otherwise empty stadium. Dr. Burks attended a family event over Thanksgiving after advising the American people to shelter in place and avoid family gatherings. Well, at least Burks had the honesty to resign after receiving massive criticism. The COVID-19 vaccine started last month. Here's what I wrote on Facebook. I'm old enough to remember when the alphabet soup news outlets and progressive talking heads scoffed at and fact-checked President Donald J. Trump when he claimed that the COVID-19 vaccine would be available by end of year. What are they saying now? Nothing. Oh, and Kamala Harris got the vaccine. This is the same woman who criticized the Trump administration's efforts to push for a vaccine and said on multiple occasions that she would not take it if it was developed under the Trump administration. You know, it's almost as if these folks have no soul. They just skew the news to fit a narrative and say whatever is necessary to bring down and or cast dispersions on their political foes. As you may recall from episode 118, The Truth About the Biden Crime Family, the mainstream media all but ignored the New York Post story about decades-long corruption of the Biden family. Big Tech actually censored the story, and Twitter killed the Post's account for two weeks. But now that the election is over and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is itching to depose Biden as soon as humanly possible by using the 25th Amendment Committee established by Pelosi last year in order to install the least vetted person ever to become president, Kamala Harris, the Hunter Biden corruption story is all of a sudden front page news again. It's so bizarre. Here's what I wrote on Facebook. One plus one equals two. One. Ignore the Biden crime family during the general election in order to drag the most electable Democrat across the finish line with a little help from friends in Madison, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Detroit. Post-election, investigate the hell out of Biden and render Joe corrupt. That's one. Plus one, Pelosi sets up a 25th Amendment committee, not to deal with Trump, as she said herself, but to deal with future presidents. 1 plus 1 equals the removal of Biden and the ascendancy of a horribly corrupt 
manipulative, authoritarian opportunist. Additionally, the country of Ukraine is apparently gunning for Joe, given the fact that he profited handsomely while propping up a corrupt government in their country. A video of a press conference in that country went viral late in the month. The purpose of the press conference was to provide documentary and eyewitness information about the corruption. And guess who figures prominently in the story? The Bidens. Speaking of Hunter and Joe, John Paul Mack, the Wilmington, Delaware repair shop owner where idiot Hunter dropped off his laptop and subsequently abandoned it, has filed a $500 million defamation suit against Twitter saying their actions forced him to shut down his business after they claimed that the New York Post's expose on the laptop violated its, quote, hacked materials policy, leaving Mr. Mack labeled a hacker and thus reputationally damaged. Democrat Congressman from California Eric Swalwell's long-time relationship with a female Chinese spy was revealed in December. Axios reported that Swalwell is one of several American politicians that this particular spy had developed extensive ties to as part of a multi-year spying operations in the U.S. between 2011 and 2015. The spy, last name Fang, was even a campaign bundler for Swalwell and placed at least one intern in his congressional offices. The FBI was reportedly so concerned about Fang, who had engaged in romantic relationships with at least two Midwestern mayors, that they briefed Swalwell about it in 2015 when she suddenly returned to China. Oh, and get this, Swalwell, he's on the House Intelligence Committee. Still think there's no dual justice system in America? One for well-connected Democrats and one for everyone else? Just for a moment, consider a reaction of the mainstream media, the National Democrats, and establishment Republicans would have been if Swalwell was a Republican. The former would have lambasted him ruthlessly for days on end and demanded that he resign and be removed from the Intel Committee, and the latter would have obliged. And you know what? They would have been correct. That would have been the right thing to do. The guy is a corrupt politician, but he's a Democrat, so none of the normal common sense standards apply to him. Attorney General Bill the Swamp Rat Barr resigned. I'm not exactly sure what job he actually resigned from because from where I'm sitting, he didn't do shit when it comes to the most pressing issues of our day namely punishing the felons who illegally spied on the Trump campaign, those who concocted the Russian collusion story, and he didn't lift a finger to investigate vote fraud. He reminds me of former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan. He always talked a good game, but never did a damn thing. The Wall Street Journal published an op-ed suggesting Jill Biden stop calling herself Dr. Jill Biden, given the fact that she isn't one. The op-ed explained that a Ph.D. in education from Delaware University based on a doctoral dissertation entitled, quote, Student Retention at Community College Level, Meeting Students' Needs, end quote, is hardly worthy of a constant public persona utilizing the doctor title. The predictable name-calling from liberal media mob ensued with cries of sexism. Without the outrage of the mainstream media, this is such a non-story. I mean, are we supposed to address physical therapists and lawyers as doctor? Do a quick internet search on Ben Carson, New York Times. Now remember, he is actually a brain surgeon, a doctor. Conduct that search and narrow it down to 2016. How many times was he supposedly disrespected and referred to as Ben Carson? Can you find any subsequent outrage? Cleveland Indians announced they will be changing their name, removing the Indian moniker because it's racist. Will we ever have a team or company stand up to the woke mob 
The Redskins are now the Washington football team. Really? I assume eventually all team names will simply be the city name and a color until the outrage culture claims they are offended by that. There was a huge story for exactly 48 hours about a Russian cyber attack. The mainstream media went nuts. It was said to have been months long in the making, breached multiple U.S. federal agencies, posed a grave risk to the nation, including the potential compromise of classified systems which monitor the nation's nuclear arsenal. We had Democrat senators calling it an act of war and demanding that Trump do something about it, which would likely take the form of more sanctions and ratcheting tensions with Moscow further. Then the story just died. I don't know if the story has legs, but don't you find the daily barrage of Trump bashing crises around every corner tiring and ineffective? I mean, they've been running the same play for five years. Isn't the media ready to move on? I guess we'll find out shortly once Biden takes office. Then he hands it over to Kamala. The mainstream media will spend the next four or eight years covering up their ineptitude and corruption while ignoring massive vote fraud that put them there in the first place. Speaking of covering up, Biden's niece avoided jail time after a DUI conviction. I guess it wasn't covered up, but you have a hard time finding the story unless you're on Breitbart or Gateway Pundit and the likes. The COVID relief bill was thrown in with the latest omnibus spending bill. All told, it was about 5,600 pages. AOC complained that they didn't have time to read it. Then she voted for it. $900 billion. $120 billion for Americans. Ah, the rest went to foreign countries' illegal immigrants who actually get more money than citizens. It went to the National Gallery of Art, Kennedy Center, Asian Carp, Gender Studies in Pakistan, FBI Construction Projects, the Smithsonian, $700 million to Sudan. We have money for reef fish management. You know, the usual pork-filled, unconstitutional bullshit that comes out of Washington on a regular basis. Only six Republican senators had the guts to vote against it. Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Rick Scott of Florida, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Mike Lee of Utah, and Ted Cruz of Texas. Here's a breakdown of the categories of spending. See if you can find a constitutional category in there. Transportation, nutrition and agriculture, rental assistance, support for small banks that serve low-income and minority communities, schools, vaccine testing and tracing, child care, broadband, direct checks, unemployment benefits, small businesses. Did you find a constitutional area in the spending? Me neither. Trump called it disgraceful, threatened to veto because he wanted $2,000 sent to Americans, not 600 He told lawmakers to get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items in the spending bill. Then he signed it a few days later, with no changes made. Here's what I wrote on Facebook. So Trump declines 600 and proposes 2000 why not 10000 or a million? It's the same empty, idiotic, unconstitutional argument made by the same empty, idiotic politicians and talking heads about the minimum wage. If $15 an hour is good, then $50 is even better. In the case of the former checks being sent out, the feds just print the dollars out of thin air. Both the direct distribution of the dollars and the printing of them are both unconstitutional. In the case of the latter minimum wage laws, these are unconstitutional on their face. There is no power to regulate or manipulate wage rates in the Constitution. Trump issued a series of pardons and commutations, including several of his associates who got caught up in the Russia collusion hoax investigation. You probably recognize their names. 
George Papadopoulos, Paul Manafort, and Roger Stone. Shortly after his pardon was announced, Roger Stone said he was file a $25 million lawsuit against the Department of Justice, while his lawyers file complaints for prosecutorial misconduct against key DOJ officials such as Robert Mueller, James Comey, John Brennan, and Rod Rosenstein. Some crazy dude set off a RV full of explosives in downtown Nashville. The guy had been reported to the FBI previously as he enjoyed making bombs in his backyard. The bomber died in the blast. No one else was hurt, thank God. Strangely, the RV blared a warning for 15 minutes prior to the blast, telling people to leave the area. As of this recording, the details are still pretty slim. Pete Buttigieg was nominated to be Biden's Secretary of Transportation. Here's what I wrote on Facebook. The guy went from being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, with a population of 100,000, with 1,100 employees, and an annual budget of $358 million where his claim to fame was his inability to fill potholes, which were famously filled by a strange Domino's Pizza ad campaign. Then this lightweight ran for the Democratic nomination for president, during which he lectured America about his version of Christianity. Now he is nominated to run an unconstitutional federal agency with a $90 billion budget and 50,000 employees. In a speech following his nomination, he explained his qualifications for the position came from the fact that he is a transportation enthusiast. He always loved riding on Amtrak trains. He once studied while traveling on a cargo ship, and he proposed to his husband at Chicago O'Hare Airport. Well, I'll be damned. I believe that I'm qualified to run the EPA. After all, I've always loved nature and the environment, and I proposed to my wife at the Coker Arboretum in Chapel Hill. British lawmakers overwhelmingly passed the Brexit trade agreement with the European Union on December 30th, the day before the end of the formal transition period. This is one of the last hurdles to make Brexit a reality. It was a long time coming with unimaginable levels of resistance that always comes when you try to decentralize. We should expect similar resistance when the first state in the United States decides to secede from the Union. And that is the truth about December 2020. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.